chapter and the second verse. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 2. And we're going to resume our study of this amazing book. Uh, before we begin, let's take a few moments for prayer to get ourselves ready to study the Word of God. Let us pray. Father, we thank You. We thank You for Your blessings, for Your test. We thank You for Your opportunities. Father, we thank You that we can still come together in a free country and we can lift up praise and worship to You. And Father, we know sometimes it's just a joyful noise, but we know that the hearts is what You see. And Father, we thank You for that. Father, we pray that as we partake of this portion of Your Word today, that the Holy Spirit would nourish our souls with it. Grant us understanding, comprehension, retention. And Father, we pray that we might be able to use this to your glory. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is one of the passages that's so very important. Very important to all of history. Very important to the angelic conflict. Very important to the culmination of all things. And the first six verses of the 20th chapter of the book of Revelation are going to bring a lot of things together for us. Now, last week we spent the whole hour looking at verse 1. I saw an angel. This is probably the uh, angel of... Uh, 1617, I saw an angel coming down from the heaven, having the key, actually 19, not 16, having the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And we're trying to uh, see what the scripture has to say about what is the abyss? How is it located? What? How is it all put together? Now, we have Sheol, uh, the, and I should have changed this. This is Sheol Hades. That um, is our uh, equivalent. The abyss is part of that, but the two words, Sheol is the Hebrew word, Hades is the Greek word, and that's where the word equivalents uh, come about, is Sheol, Hades. Now, we took a look at Hades, what it amounted to, what it was, and what we find is that the grave or death, physical death, was a person went to what is called Sheol or Hades. Now, Hades is often translated as hell in some versions of the Bible, and yet Hades is what the Greek word actually means. So that's the way it should be translated. And what we find is that it includes paradise or Abraham's bosom. We looked last week at the fact that believers go to Sheol. They, they viewed that as such. Uh, Jacob saw it. Job saw it. They knew that they went to Sheol. It did not mean they went to hell. They knew they weren't going there. Job wrote in Job 19.25, I know my Redeemer lives, and at the last he shall take his stand. So when he says, I shall go down to Sheol, he's not saying I'm going to go to, to torments at all. He's saying that that's a, that's a place, the abode of the physical dead for a period of time. We know that from Luke 16 and this parable that is taught, that Jesus taught, and he taught about Abraham's bosom, which we also know as paradise. Now, in paradise, we find, uh, or in Sheol, we find what is called torments, and another uh, compartment, if you will, called Tartarus. Torments is where the 
human unbelievers went awaiting their ultimate judgment uh and it's been that way since uh, it's been that way since the beginning since the first unbeliever died so that's that's where they went Tartarus is where the fallen angels went of Genesis 6. Prior to the flood, the spirit's now in prison of 1 Peter 3.19. That's a place called Tartarus. They're all compartments, if you will, of Sheol, Hades. And they are separated by a great chasm. The Greek word is kosmos, C-H-A-S-M-A. It's the only place it's used in the New Testament. And it's a pit. It's a, it's a word used to describe the bottomless pit as we know it. Bottomless is a word that means, uh, or pit is a word that means well. So you basically have a separation. According to Luke 16, they could see each other. They could talk to each other across this, but they could not cross over. Now, when the Lord ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives. Those in paradise, or Abraham's bosom, were uh, uh, part of what he took out of there because they couldn't get out. I mean, they were, in that sense, captives. They were in paradise, which is where the thief on the cross went. When the Lord said, today you will be with me in paradise. Okay, that's what he's talking about. Sheol, Hades has a place called paradise. And it was a nice place. That's where Lazarus went. And uh, the rich man went over to torments. And he was across the way. And the rich man was begging for some kind of mercy, which he never gave to Lazarus during during his life. So this is the way the compartments are are laid out. I've seen a lot of pictures of these. When I started looking for uh, uh, pictures online, you'd think with the online stuff that we have available today that somebody would have a nicer chart than this. Uh, and I couldn't find one, so I built this one. So that's why it looks amateurish, because that's what it is. But that's that's the way it's separated. That's the way it is. That's the way it is done. Now, verse one, we saw the angel coming down out of heaven, and through this abyss. By the way, the last thing is the lake of fire. The abyss is not the lake of fire. It is kept separately. The abyss that would be like compartments off of this pit that one can go into torments or Tartarus. Whenever the uh, devils are led out in uh, Revelation 9 out of the pit, that's what it's talking about. They came out of Tartarus and they came up and inflicted pain on mankind. Now, we saw that the beast and the false prophet are the first two citizens in the lake of fire. That's the end of chapter 19. Now, we're going to see uh, this is in conjunction with the second advent. And it says, and he, in verse 2, and that's the angel. That's the same angel. I uh, saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. It was an angel given this special task. It first belonged to Jesus Christ. He had the key, Revelation 1. It was given to the dragon to open up the pit, Revelation 9. It was taken back from the dragon in order to do that. And now it was given to this angel to do so. And we'll see in part why. And he says that he laid hold of the dragon... 
The, the serpent of old, literally, archaios is the word we get original, or we get uh, archaeology out of this, it means original or ancient. The serpent of old, the ancient serpent, I call the original serpent, who is, this is a present active indicative of Imi. So this is who he is, the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Now, why the Lord let an angel do this? Okay, we're going to see in part why he did. And part of it is that the judgment fits the crime. And part of the crime we'll find in Isaiah chapter 14. Now, the inspired word of God is clear. First point, there's only one angelic being who possesses all these names and titles. The only one being that is known as the dragon, the serpent, the devil, and Satan. There's only one. So here it just set up an equation and said we're talking about one creature who has these four titles. The term dragon, when you start looking at it, looks at an imperial oppressor. Uh, namely, one that used politics, fear, and force to enslave people. Now, the dragon is the one... He claims authority by his own words. Now, he, um, it's kind of interesting. Um, he's claiming authority. Uh, the devil hates freedom of speech, if you think about it, because he's using politics. Do you think the, the devil's in the details of the politics? It, it, it always is. That old statement holds true all the time. The, he hates freedom of speech. Because what happens with freedom of speech? He gets exposed. Who doesn't want freedom of speech? Marxist. What is his political party? He uses Marxism, which says there's no God, but yet he proclaims himself to be a God because he's found them to be useful idiots. I know they would love that, wouldn't they? That particular title. This is where they, people get loaded with political correctness. This is where political correctness comes from. Because the old dragon is behind it. Because you can't use this word because it might offend somebody. You can't even speak the truth <clears throat> because it might offend somebody. <clears throat> you can't even <clears throat> offer a prayer before a high school football game because it might offend somebody. I find it interesting that a lot of times that the people that offends are only one out of the whole people group. And they've joined just to cause problems with it. But see, the devil, the dragon, is behind such things because he wants to control speech. Why did our founding fathers, most of whom, a lot of whom, and signers of the Declaration of Independence, were pastors? And they knew the importance of freedom of speech. Now, I might not like what you say. But you should have the freedom to say it. And that's part of what our, our country was founded on. So you start going after who is behind all this stuff. Because we're facing that right now. Paul told us in Ephesians 6.12 that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Flesh and blood becomes useful idiots to carry out the dragon's plan. He is the one behind the politics. The hypocrisy behind it is part of what, what gets me because they find a way to excuse themselves. But this dragon, 
is one that uses politics, uses fear, and uses force to enslave people. Now, we watch things happen around the world, and it, the, the old cliche that the only thing we learn from history is that we didn't learn from history. <clears throat> Marxism is mean. It's at their core. They're anti-God. So when you find things floating around a country that was founded on Christian, Judeo-Christian principles, what happens? You find out that the, that the Marxists are behind it. That's what they want to do is separate and divide, and that's part of how they do it. Because they don't want God mentioned in schools, do they? Why would you mention God in a school? Because if you mention God, you might have, you might get to teach creationism. That a holy God brought into existence everything that we look at today. Oh, but you can't do that. That's not scientific. That's playing word games, political games, political correctness. You have to accept evolutionary theory as fact, not as a theory anymore. It starts with one thing and then it moves to another one. And you'll notice how people with that viewpoint stay in that viewpoint. They're the ones that want you to compromise. When you don't compromise, you're divisive. You're the one that gets the label when you're not willing to compromise the truth in order to meet their personal agenda because that really is all it is. But that term dragon, that's what it looks at and it uses politics. So when you see the, when you see politics going on that, that is purely a pushing of uh, personal agendas and motives that are not biblical, then, then you have the dragon behind it. The term original serpent takes us back to the Garden of Eden, where his deceit was first used on humanity. It is the motivation behind his words. He is deceitful. Now, what about a serpent? Now, this serpent was different. We know it was different because it had legs and it talked. So this animal was quite different back in the garden, but it says the original serpent. But what do we know about serpents? Because serpents have a curse on them. And this curse is, is you just don't see them hardly. They can blend in. You can almost step on them. The, um, we were out, I've been out in the woods a lot over the course of my life, and we were walking down a riprap one time south of Copan Lake, and I forget if it's Jennifer or Bradley or Helen walked over a rat snake that was about eight foot long. <laughs> it was just huge. And finally, I, and and somebody goes, snake! <laughs> you didn't even see it. They're good at it. They're good at hiding. They blend in. They strike quickly. And quite often they squeeze to kill their prey. That sounds like the devil, doesn't it? He blends in. I had an old song a long time ago. What if he had blue eyes and blue jeans? Yeah, he blends in quite easily. Then what happens? He lures you away. He strikes quickly, inflicts his venom, and will wrap you up if given the opportunity. That's the devil. See, this is who the Lord is fighting. And this is who we are fighting because our struggle is not really against flesh and blood. It's against a worldview. It's against a viewpoint. The term devil 
That's diabolos. That's the word that looks at his method of attack. And that looks at accusations and slander. That's a devil means slanderous. Now, that's the content and purpose of his words. It's interesting how a lot of um, certain people, and we're a lot of us are raised that certain words you don't say. Um, of course, I was the son of a bricklayer, and we, I learned about those words a long time ago. By the time I was three, I had a pretty colorful vocabulary, but not around my mother and grandmother. That was not permitted around around them. And occasionally, my dad would say, "Quit your." Mm-mm cursing or whatever you know but anyway that's 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 what it was but see that's not the words we're talking about here where do you find some of the most slanderous blasphemous words against our lord you find them in the colleges and the universities and you find them in the high schools because it does not have to be a politically correct or incorrect four-letter word to be slanderous and blasphemous because a lot of them, it's a person can say, "Well, I believe that the that there is no God." That's slanderous. Where's the four letter words in there? A person that says there there is no God and sets out to prove it, they are carrying out the the schemes of the devil. That's what they're doing. So, <clears throat> and then the word Satan, Shatan, Hebrew. I like that pronunciation. Satan in the Greek looks at his adversarial approach. To Jesus Christ. See, the result of his words are designed to spread conflict, and that's what that's what he does. That tells us that very title tells us something about the angelic conflict, something about a battle between God and Satan. I had a friend that went to a seminary that'll remain unnamed, and he was in a class. Uh, one of the Bible classes up there, and and uh, the the professor asked a question. He said, "Well, based on the angelic conflict, and da da da." And uh, the professor stopped him and said, "What angelic conflict?" And he was taken aback. It was kind of like, "Well, if you're a professor of a major seminary, you ought to know what the angelic conflict is all about." But see, the angelic conflict. <coughs> Sometimes people say, well, they allegorize. They allegorize and said, this old serpent of old, the dragon, the devil, Satan, it's just a, it's just a, a big allegory for uh, uh, influence. Not really a being, not really a personage, if you will, but it's just an allegory for an influential way of thinking of certain people. Well, that's not the way the Bible presents, presents it at all. What it says by use of the word shatan, satan, is that he's an adversary of the Lord Jesus Christ. An adversarial approach. It is not just a viewpoint. The viewpoint is his methodology. But it is a person who is against him. And oftentimes this word is used as an adversary in a court of law. So that leads us to some other things. That there is a uh, court battle a legal battle that is going on between God and Satan and somehow we're in the middle of it. So that to me was an invitation a long time ago. How? How are we in the middle of this thing? And I do think that we're part of a test tube case. I think Satan leveled 
every accusation he could come up with after his fall because we're going to read the passage on his fall today one of them we're going to read about that and what he said and and how he went about it we're going to uh, read about that but that he he leveled every accusation possible against the lord or what would he go after well you can't really be sovereign uh, you made all these rules. I bet you can't even keep them. Oh, you can't be righteous and justice because I'm still alive and I sin. So why am I not dead? Forgot about his love. Oh, if you're really love, why would you be righteousness and justice? Huh. What about knowing all things? If you created me knowing I would fall, did you cause me to fall by creating me? And you think about all the accusations that he could level against God, and God says, I got a solution to this. I'll make a creature. I'll show you. Because I'll have another witness to add into the mix in the courtroom of history. And I'll show you that in the middle of a totally bad environment, see, Satan would be an environmentalist to a degree because he claimed that heaven wasn't perfect. See, perfect. Who do you think is behind environmental determinism? That your environment determines your decisions. That's evolutionary theory. Who's behind that? Well, if if you put me in this environment, it couldn't have been perfect, or I wouldn't have fallen. See, the reasoning is so mixed up and skewed. But that's what's being taught today in a lot of the schools. And that's in part why we see young people making serious mistakes because they don't have a concept of what's right and what's wrong anymore. His presence. Now, what this is saying in verse 2, and bound him for a thousand years. His presence will be removed for the angelic con- from the angelic conflict for a thousand years, but his philosophy will not. It's still going to be around. Kind of like the people that came through the flood, the eight souls that survived the flood. Guess what came through with them? The bad stuff too. Because they were normal human beings just like just like us. Noah and his wife and Shem, Ham and Japheth and their wife. They were normal human beings with flaws just like us. And guess what came through with them? All that other stuff of what went on prior that we needed to know but he's taken out of the conflict but the fact that there's still human beings with sin nature entering into the millennial kingdom the philosophy's going going through because some people were saved by grace through faith that not of themselves and they're coming through but they are not mature at all spiritually so they're open to mistakes The angelic conflict, its philosophy won't, and it has as its roots because it came from the dragon, the serpent, the devil, and Satan. The attack on God. The sin nature is still present. Sin is still present during the millennial kingdom. But the Lord, it says, is going to shepherd the nations with a rod of iron. We're going to see righteousness, justice, and grace administered as it should be for the first time in all of human history. The chains are a supernatural nature. Bound him means to bind up in chain because angels can't be bound with mere human chains. 
Okay? So they're supernatural. He's going to bind them in a supernatural way. Mark 5, uh, specifically verse 3 and 4, this is the Gerasene demoniac as we know him. When he come out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain. Why? He was he was full of unclean spirits. And the chains wouldn't hold him, because he'd often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Until Jesus showed up. Now, Acts 12, another example, you can't bind an angel with chains. Can't be done. Now, so it's a spiritual chain. He bound him for a thousand years. The one who sought to bring Christ down is himself brought down. Romans 10, verse 4 to 7, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteous which is based on law shall live by that righteousness. But the righteousness based on faith speaks thusly. Do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Who sought to bring Christ down? The devil. Why did he tempt him? Matthew chapter 4. What was he trying to do? See, because the one thing Satan figured out, after he uttered the five I wills, which are coming up, is he figured out that he could not be higher than the Almighty God. So his next move was to bring him down. Bring him to our level. Bring him to his level. He is trying to... uh, figure out a way through all of human history for for God to compromise his essence. Well, is he not omniscient? No, God's going to prove that over and over again. He lays out history, lays out the end from the beginning. He lays out prophecy. He says this is what's going to happen. People still have volition and it still happens. Okay? Um He's laid it out. He's proves, he proves his omniscience. When you start looking at, at what Christ has proven in the angelic conflict, <clears throat> did he prove his righteousness and justice? Yeah, his son went to the cross to pay a debt we couldn't pay. There's no greater example of the need for righteousness and justice than that. Because until then, sins were just covered. They were just covered. But after the cross, they were taken away. They were no longer an issue in eternal life. Until then, they just like had a tarp over them. That's kind of the picture of the, the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat, the kafar, the covering that was over it. The Day of Atonement. They were covered until He paid for them. Then guess what? No longer an issue. Why did he lead captivity captive? Because they were an issue to that point. Then when he paid for sins, he said, Hey, you guys, follow me. We're out of here. And he took them out of the abyss right through there and took, them, took their souls into heaven. 
Now, we have verse 3, which says, and through him. Now, this is the devil. Aristens, point of time. Balo, chunk him just like a ball. It's the word that's used here. I love this because it's like he, you can almost see a live wrestling move, can't you? Where they grab hold of the hand and the leg and they spin around. I, I'm looking forward to this because it says he just chunks him out there. He threw him into the abyssos, the abyss, and he shut it. Now, this word is clio and it means basically to lock. He threw him in there, yeah, but he locked it. And he sealed it. Sfragizo. Aristenses, both of them, point in time. He took him. He bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss. Then he locked it. He had the keys to death in Hades, right? He locked it. And he sealed it. I wonder why he sealed it. You remember other times about getting sealed? The Holy Spirit seals us for the day of redemption. I love that picture. It's like we got a stamp right here on our forehead. And uh, I, I actually think we do, and I think that the, the spirit world can see it. And they know who are believers and who are not believers. And I, I we've been sealed. But the thing that always gets me is, what do they do with Jesus' body? <laughs> they kind of put him in a pit, and they sealed it over. Why? So he wouldn't get out. <laughs> and they would know it if he did. The seal. This seal is a picture of ownership. It's a picture of, sea, of, of um, uh, protection. A lot of different things that seal means. But it basically says, sealed. It's kind of like the Lord imprinted his signet ring in the seal on the abyss where he was at. And you know what? The Lord got out of his, didn't he? But the devil isn't going to get out of his until it's time. And then he'll be let out. So that he should not deceive. Now this word is actually a subjunctive, planao. The word means to deceive, to fake out of the shoes. May not deceive is the way it literally should be translated. And it's just saying that there was the potential to deceive the nations. It's just... Another clear-cut way of saying, if he'd have been out, the nations could have been deceived. But he's not going to be the one doing it anymore. So he should not deceive the nations any longer. Again, when you see the word nations over and over and over again, sometimes it blends into the narrative that's there. But when it keeps saying nations, that's the way God ordained it. He has ordained nations for the millennial kingdom. He is the king over all of it, but they're still broken up into different, we, we use the word political in a good sense here, into different political boundaries, different places where people uh, rule or order um, uh, and lead and shepherd uh, according to the chief shepherd. Until the thousand years were completed, it's only two places in the Bible it mentions the thousand years we know as the millennium. Till the thousand years were completed, and after these things, okay, this is millennial. Are we pre-millennial? Yes. Are we pre-tribulational? 
Yes. Will we be raptured before the tribulation begins? Yes. What happens immediately after the tribulation? The Lord comes back and defeats his enemies. One of his enemies is the dragon. What does he do with him? Puts him in the abyss. Okay? For a thousand years, and he seals the abyss over for a thousand years. But then it says, after these thousand years, he must be released. The word uh, he must be is the word dei. I love that little word. It's a word that means obligated. Obligated. We use the word must way too frequently. Obligation carries with our, with the English language something that, that it just expands the understanding and the significance of, of the word. Uh, you gotta do it. You're supposed to do it. He is, it is obligated by who? God set it as a requirement in the angelic conflict, within the angelic conflict. He's going to let him out one more time. It's God's obligation to do it. Let him out one more time to seal up vision and profit, to fulfill the whole thing. He's going to let him out one more time, released for a short time. This is kind of cool. Micros is short. And then chronos is chronology. He'll be released for a short chronology short period of time. We don't know how long. It's just going to be a short period of time in relationship to the thousand years that are there in the context. Now, the beast from the sea and the false prophet were in the lake of fire. Okay, but we have still the abyss, which has got torments and Tartarus in it. And the devil's not in the lake of fire yet. The beast and false prophet are. But the devil is sent to the abyss. Now, I believe that he'll be back and forth, primarily in torments, with the unbelieving humanity in torments. He's going to be there for a while. I'll show you, show you the passage that leads me to believe that. The abyss will be Satan's temporary home for a thousand years, during which time he'll be mocked by those he led astray into eternal condemnation. So he's going to be down there with a whole bunch of these humanoids, if you will, who never became believers. And what's going to, is he going to be the king of the abyss? He wishes. <laughs> All right. This is the prophetic fulfillment given uh, of a prophecy given after Satan's first fall. So turn to Isaiah 14 with me, if you would. In verse 13, Isaiah 14... And verse 13. This is the fall of Satan. The five I wills. We've heard about it for a long time. This is where it is located. It says, But you said in your heart, and you can count the I wills, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will set on the Mount of Assembly in the recesses of the north. That's the supposed meeting place of the gods when it was recorded in Isaiah. And so it basically saying that I will be a god of gods. I will move up through the godhood. See, Satan was the first evolutionist. He was. He knew he wasn't God, right? And he says, I'm going to be God. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. His perspective, and when this happens, is from 
earth where he was once a uh, ruler on earth and I believe the angelic high priest before the fall. He says, I will make myself like the most high. That's his five I wills. That's his fall. Ezekiel 28 gives us more information. Verse 15, Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. You see, this is Revelation 20. Those who see you will gaze at you. They will ponder over you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms? Who made the world like a wilderness and overthrew its cities? Who did not allow his prisoners to go home? All the kings of the nations lie in glory, each in his own tombs. But you've been cast out of your tomb. Like a rejected branch, clothed with the slain who are pierced with a sword. Who go down to the stones of the pit like a trampled corpse. You'll not be united with them in burial. Because you have ruined your country. Satan, see, had a place of rulership. And he led astray, and my, my beliefs, he led astray all of the angels. But what did he do here on earth? What has he been doing since Cain and Abel? What's he been doing since the Garden of Eden? He's been doing all these things. You'll not be united them with burial because you've, you've slain your people. May, slain your people. Didn't Jesus say you're of your father the devil? And he was talking to human beings. And the devil was responsible for leading so many astray. Prepare for his sons a place of slaughter. What is going to happen is that he's going to be mocked. He's going to be mocked while he's down there. He's not going to have a position of power. He's not going to have a position of rulership. He's going to find all the people are going to parade by him. Did somebody else get mocked? A man on a cross for three hours. And he did no wrong. But the devil did the wrong, didn't he? So he's going to get mocked by those that he led astray. They're not going to be the least bit happy with him for being in eternal torment. Not at all. And they're going to let him know about it. I think about a place I visited once over in old, uh, old USSR. And it was a tomb of German and Russian soldiers. Had 60,000 of them buried underneath this monument that was there in a mass grave. And 60,000 unbelievers killed each other. And I thought, when I saw that, I thought, what a waste. What a waste of humanity. That they hated each other so much, 60,000 of them died out there. And then they put them in a mass tomb and left them, left them there. Later on, built a monument over it. And, and I'm thinking, these guys are going to give it to Satan <laughs> whenever they see him in the pit. Because that's where they are. In contrast, Jesus walked away from the tomb free. Satan not going to walk away from this tomb. Not under the control of anyone. This is the third fall of Satan. The first was the fall from his original position. Isaiah fourteen twelve to 14 and Ezekiel 28. He was angelic high priest. The second one was from access to heaven in the tribulation, chapter 12. 
See, he is not he was not yet incarcerated after his first fall, which tells us that there was an appeal. He was declared guilty. How do we know? The book says the ruler of this world has been judged. How do we know? Matthew twenty five forty one cast into the lake of fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. That's the goats. So we know that he was free to roam the earth. Job 1.6, Job 2.1 as well. He was free to roam the earth and to carry out his evil and his argument against God. Now, <clears throat> but then, when he could go to heaven and accuse the brethren, along about the midpoint of the tribulation, we've seen it, he gets thrown out of heaven again to the earth. So this is the third fall of Satan. The first was the fall from the original, the second from access to heaven. His five falls are related to his five I wills. There are five falls of Satan. The first I will, I will ascend to heaven, is what it says. First I will was disciplined by his demotion from the position of angelic high priest. Ezekiel 28. Verse 14 to 16, until unrighteousness was found in you. You were, you were perfect. You had it all. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. He had it all. The only thing Satan didn't have, he wasn't God. The only thing he didn't have was everything else he had. He had position, he had power, he had authority. He had all those those things that people consider good. I'll ascend to heaven. The discipline, he was demoted from his position. The second I will, which is I'll raise my throne above the stars of God, was disciplined by being cast out of heaven by angels. See, above the stars of God, he's basically saying I'll be the... The highest of highest, okay? I will be in charge, and yet another angel did it, was able to throw him out, Michael, Revelation 12. The third I will, I will sit on the Mount of Assembly in the recesses of the north, is disciplined by his defeat at the second advent, and placed in the abyss, while the real great king rules the earth. Psalm 48. Placed in the abyss. See, he thought he would have control of the whole earth. Didn't he make his move in the tribulation with the Antichrist and the, the false prophet? And he thought he indwelled the Antichrist. He thought he'd take over the whole earth. He mandated that the whole earth should have this mark, but the whole earth didn't take the mark at all. The whole earth did not submit to his authority like he wanted. He thought he had a Marxist utopia, except it was a polytheistic utopia because he was proclaimed, proclaimed himself to be a god. How does he, how did they do that? They, it's diversion. It's deceit. It's get people thinking about one thing and do something else back behind the scenes. The fourth I will ascend above the heights of the clouds is disciplined by being no longer the ruler of the abyss. Oh, the angel out of the abyss came up. But instead of having to listen to others mock him. And the fifth I will, I'll make myself like the Most High, is disciplined by being thrown alive into the lake of fire forever. And that's coming up. So, five I wills, five falls. 
An elect angel gets the privilege of executing a sixfold function. Satan, who sought to prevail over Jesus Christ, is defeated by a lesser being. Uh, one, his, one like him, and a lesser being, lesser than Jesus Christ, he was going to prevail over the King of Kings. Instead, the Lord says, it's, it's kind of like you've got this, this scene, you've got a football field out there, and you, you're, you really want to humiliate the, the, the opponent out there, and it comes time for the crucial play, and you pick the water boy to go out <laughs> and run the play. So I'm going to show you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run this one right down your throat here. And that's what he did. He picked another angel to do it. Who sought, Satan, who sought to bind others to his system. Isn't that what he wants? He wants to wrap everybody up into a worldview that worships him. Has his system displayed as defective. Kingdom divided against itself will not, will not stand. He who is responsible for the existence of the abyss goes there. That's where he finds himself. Because without him there wouldn't, wouldn't have been a need for one. He who tried to lock men out of the kingdom of heaven is himself locked out. That neat word for lock. That's what he was trying to do. And he who tried to seal off the resurrection of Christ, the seal on the tomb, he sealed off. You see the Lord, the judgment fitting the crime here? Satan has no inherent freedom apart from divine permission. Now, after the thousand years, his final appeal is dealt with before the execution of the sentence. And he gets to unveil his glory. Because he's not yet in the lake of fire. But we're going to jump ahead to verse 7 of this chapter. When the thousand years are completed. I said two times it's mentioned there. It's mentioned again. That the thousand years are completed. Satan will be released from his prison. And will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. Gog and Magog and to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. Now this is not the Gog-Magog uh, military campaign of Ezekiel 38 and 39. This one is new because that other one has already been executed. It's over and done with. That's the king of the north, defeat of the king of the north just prior to the second advent. But this says to gather together for the war. The numbers like the sand of the seashore. So he's going to come out and be able to deceive the nations for a period of time. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. We have other descriptions of the area around Jerusalem as being on a broad plain. So they came up to the broad plain of the earth and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Okay? God, uh, they all get together. Satan deceives them. And what, is he, what does the Lord do? We sing that song, A Mighty Fortress. One little word shall fell him. One little word. We don't have a lot of information about this battle, do we? What do we have? The winner. 
What do we need? The winner. He says, They gathered all together in verse 10 in the devil who deceived them, was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone. That's where he ends up, where the beast and false prophet are also. They've been there a thousand years. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, Satan's last legal argument probably involves the claim that he was hindered from victory because he was only permitted to work with and through stupid humans like Judas and the Antichrist during human history. That's probably his last argument. Everything else, every mouth shall be shut. Know what it said? By the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every fact be confirmed. The devil has thrown everything he could throw at God, and God has proven himself true. Though every other creature be found a liar, God has proven himself through. And that's probably his last thing. Because the Lord has restricted him being able to fully reveal himself. And probably when he does, he's going to be the red dragon, ugly fire breathing. I don't think that's how he's going to look. I think he's going to be appealing. I think he is going to be someone that would attract people to themselves by their appearance. I think he's going to look at And guess what? He's going to have all the things were not to have smooth and flattering speech. He deceives the heart of the unsuspecting. I'm afraid, as Paul wrote the Corinthians, that your minds be deceived from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. He's a master confuser. That's, that's where he works. We see what's going on now in our country and around the world in the destabilization of society and its institutions. Who is in the middle of it? He is. Well, <clears throat> next week we're going to look at the thrones. We're going to look at judgment. We're going to look at a lot of different things. The great white throne judgment. It's been on the sign out there for weeks. I knew eventually we'd get there. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this day, for your mercy and love. Thank you for all your blessings and tests. Thank you for your word. Father, we are fascinated as we open up your word and we see how greatly it fits together. These puzzle pieces can look really weird all by themselves. But, Father, as they fit together with others, then we see this amazing mosaic formed around your Son take place. Thank you, Father, for this blessing. We pray that we would indeed be uh, honorable and true and pure in the middle of a crooked and perverted generation. We pray that you would use us to lead others to the cause of Christ. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.